Welcome again to so episode two of um, the Empowered Patient Podcast. My name is Mohamed Kumar, I'm the host, and I have today here to be honored with um, Mitchell and wife, um, Dr. Nukol, um, is also a, a board certified OBGYN, but has an amazing podcast on birth plan, and she also teaches a course um, 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 called the Birth Plan Course, which she will actually tell us about. But this is for expecting mothers. Um, the first time mother is scary to have a baby, um, but we want to, want to provide some insight where what that conversation usually ultimately looks like. And so I'll be a fly on the wall and I'll allow the dialogue to continue between um, patient and provider. Um, Mitchell, do you want to introduce yourself and, um, and your wife as well? Awesome, awesome. Hello, my name is Mitchell. Um, um, and I also have my wife with me, Kiera. Kiera um, Kabir Williams. And we have two amazing boys, um, almost three year old, and we have uh, seven weeks. Oh my goodness. Nine weeks, <laughs> nine weeks I, I apologize. Yeah, I know. You know, the dads, we always get the <laughs> age and months and weeks off. So, yes, we do have a nine weeks old, and we thank God for his blessing in, um, in the second go around because it was very um, tumultuous. But I'll definitely allow my wife to, to speak on that, and then um, we can ask any other questions that we think that we should have been informed prior to. Okay, sure. Well, hi, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. <laughs> so with our first son, um, I had him right at, well, actually I was late, 40 weeks. I shouldn't say late, so 40 weeks in a few days. And I honestly didn't really have a real birth plan because I didn't know what to expect. Like my mom was like, oh, go to the classes. I'm like, uh, it's a new generation. I probably should have listened. Because I get there and I'm not doing the proper breathing. So then that made my blood pressure go up. And I was like, uh, this pain is not what I expected. So let's just go for the C-section. So there we we did that. And it was like a breeze. Like, I don't want to say it was a breeze because it was considered technically major surgery. But because I didn't have any real expectations or know what to expect because of my lack of knowledge or not going to the classes like I should have or prepare like I should have. I was just like, this pain is, no, this is not for me. So fast forward to three years, two years, two and a little bit, two and a half years. Um, my second son, I was like, okay, let me try to do better. So took a few classes and I was like, okay, instead of a C-section, let's see if I can do a vaginal birth. So I, I thought I had a plan, right? Same thing. But I was trying to breathe a little better. However, it was still an issue with my blood pressure. So they were like, well, you know, we can give you something to, you know, ease the pain, also to help with your blood pressure. But I'm like, I, I'm not trying to take all this medicine and then have a baby at the same time. So seven hours later, I was like, okay, C-section it is again. So even with that, I think I had two failed epidurals and um, they finally took me back and gave me a spinal and they were like, oh, you're finally 10 centimeters. Can you push? I was like, I can't feel anything at this point. So then it became like, I don't want to call it an emergent, but they, we were like, they were like, we are here now. So we might as well, for safety for you and the baby. I was like, do whatever is going to be best for the both of us. Because at the end of the day, 
with the mortality rate with black women and birthing, I was like, you know, whatever it takes. So then during this whole process, while the spinal was taking effect or it had taken effect, I was like having trouble breathing. So then that was another factor. And they were like, you're fine. But I'm like, no, I cannot breathe. But I'm like, I'm talking to you, so I guess I can't breathe. So it was a lot happening. And I was like, where's Mitch? He was getting ready to come in there, you know, all the sanitary precautions and everything like that. So our second son is born. We all make it out safely. Thank the Lord. And then um, I think we were two days in. My blood pressure was still a little elevated, but they would just keep retaking it until it was something that they thought was sufficient. I think it would be like 130s or 140s over something. But then the, the last day when we were getting ready to go home, at least we thought we were going home, one particular nurse was like, no, your blood pressure is still staying too high for you to go home safely. And in the meantime, between those three days, I think I was getting a lot of magnesium. I, I believe it was magnesium. I'm, I'm not really sure. Not the truth. Yeah, it was, it was a yellow bag. Yeah. I'm not really sure what it was. Um, well, even just to interject a little bit, because I think one of the main issues started when she first got to the hospital, which, which was where, in my opinion, I believe that the, the standard of care was, was already falling apart from, from the doctor's end. And so when she first, uh, she got to the hospital around nine, 10 o'clock in the morning. And so immediately when they first took her back in, um, they were doing the preliminary things of checking her blood pressure. There they found that blood pressure was what, 210? Oh, yeah. Yeah, or I mean, or, I mean 210 and getting high. So the first doctor came and said, oh, you're um, you have preeclampsia. So now it became an emergency. So she's in like real pain. She can't even talk or anything. She's in distress. Then another doctor came. They're trying to do different things, giving her medication for the blood pressure to come down and monitor the blood pressure. Blood pressure was very stubborn and not coming down, kept, kept elevating. And so at this point, it became, okay, we're seeing a blood pressure that's being elevated, but it was the attitude towards it was not very concerning um, in a way where I felt like if we were a different race, it would have been more of an alarming situation. And so one particular instance, um, there's a doctor that was, um, the other female doctor who came in second was um, was pretty much they were trying to give a consent form to sign. So mind you, you or you having a patient that that doesn't even know what's going on. <laughs> All she's doing is screaming in serious pain, and you giving her a paper to read over and asking her to sign it. And I'm informing you that I'm the husband what is this document about? Let me read the document and I can initially for it. Because again, it's no way anybody can tell me somebody that's in such pain can comprehend what they're reading. And so because of our race, which I honestly wholeheartedly believe 
she was very dismissive of me and literally just kept looking at her and talking to her and giving her instructions. But she can't understand. She's just screaming. And so that was the very first instance where I'm like, okay, this, this doesn't look like it's about to end well. And then fast forward to them putting us in the labor room or whatever. Um, they came back instead of giving her um, the first epidural. And that didn't work. So then they came and gave an additional shot of something then a second epidural. And now this same doctor that was dismissive of me was like, well, we just have to give you another epidural. And so they called anesthesia team. And that's when I became irate and I was like, okay, look, <laughs> this is me. <laughs> then nobody is going to inject nothing in my wife. <laughs> from this point on we either go to the label do a c-section and so the um by the same three anesthesia came and they all said okay well we i mean even the one they gave the additional booster thing and the second one so the third one that came is like well that's what we'd have to do sir i was like no sir i was like if you're the fourth anesthesiologist and now you want to tell me Maybe is the way you in um the the um on the needle was inserted, yeah, or the placement. So three other anesthesiologists couldn't figure that out. And now we want to do a fourth one. I was like, not under my watch. And he was also an uh, older Caucasian male looking at a black man standing up for his wife. Pretty much was like, well, that's what we'll have to do. There's no other option. I was like, well, there is another option. So luckily there was a change of shift and one of the OBGYN that was, that, that's in the practice that she's seen before. Um, God, what's his name? Dr. Southern. Southern? Yeah, yeah Dr. Southern. Um, bless his heart and a good doctor as well. So he came in, he was like, wait, hold. so he's, uh, he's reviewing everything that's been done and he's seeing my temperance as well. And says, like, now nah, just, uh, it's okay. We're not going to do no more anesthesiologists. I'm going to make sure we get him to the OR immediately. So literally within 15 minutes, we're in the OR. So I'm like, you, we had three anesthesiologists, two other doctors, and they did another insertion of something that they did to try to. Exactly. So I'm like, since nine o'clock, it's 7 p.m. And we, she's in constant pain. She's screaming, she can't breathe. Blood pressure even was still going up. You've already said she's a preeclampsia patient from the first hour. Why are we still in this same predicament? Why are we still in the same situation? And so for me, it was kind of like, what's the practice of standard of care that you have? on making certain decisions. Because really I felt like race was a factor in, in the urgency of, I mean, of that delivery. And so which, <laughs> which leads us to this podcast and in of care of, of having to breach some of those definitely um, cultural issues that we do deal with as black, I mean, or African-American um, patients. And so 
we then went to the OR, everything was fine. Again, doctors know that there's a preeclampsia patient. Heart rate is, is still fluctuating very high. Every time the vitals was done, same thing. And yet then nobody saw a fit to say what's the issue, but we were still planning on, on a discharge. So it was, God just put it on a nurse that was working overnight and she actually just happened to be our nurse one time, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, she, she, um, she was our nurse just for one time and God just put it in her heart that night to say, no, something is not right. Let me alarm somebody. And then that's when they had to um, decide to take her to the ICU the next day. Um, then at this point, they saying, well, we have to do blood transfusion and we yeah, have to, yeah, and we have to do scan, um, CT scan or something, or some type of scan that they had to do. <laughs> and so now I'm like, okay, blood transfusion, why? So the first thing that you're telling me is blood transfusion, but the vitals and the blood pressure pills or whatever, and you've been seeing the blood pressure um, numbers. And, and nobody mentioned anything, but now it's blood transfusion. I was like, no, nah, we can't do blood transfusion. There has to be another option before blood transfusion. So, so mind you, they're trying to convince me of the safety of blood transfusion. And, and I'm like, I get it. I'm not a <laughs> ignorant illiterate person, I get it. But there has to be another alternative that we can do prior to blood transfusion, because we're in the ICU, that means she's going to be monitored 24-7. So one of the nurse practitioners decided to tell the ICU doctor for them to give you a different pill or something, or was it a pill? Yeah, yeah I think they gave her a different pill and magnesium, and that actually brought the blood pressure way down to around the 160s. And so they monitored her for 24 seven straight under this same medication. And the blood pressure was, was consistent. And then we went back to the room for another extra day and everything was fine in getting discharged. So it's kind of like, why are some of these procedures um, being the first thing of, I guess, surgeries or like a blood transfusion? Why would that be? first option if there was another alternative option. And so then it's like physicians having too much caseload to handle where they can't really think to make critical decisions than a nurse practitioner <laughs> or even the nurses who make those life-saving decisions for us, which I believe those were life-saving decisions and very cost-saving decisions as well. Because a blood transfusion cost and a pill cost are two different costs, <laughs> you know. So those that's our story, and here we are. <laughs> gotcha. Well, I'm glad that everything turned out um, well, despite everything that happened. That sounded like it was incredibly stressful, um, and it's hard for me to like weigh in without seeing all of the information and the things that happened and the details of your medical chart, but just 
listening to your story, I'm sure I'm 100% confident that race, of course, played some sort of role in how things unfolded. It's always difficult to to determine how much that that played a role because um, sadly, your I have heard similar stories to what you've described from that white people have that experience where um, it sounds like they weren't communicating well with you about what was going on. Uh, they didn't explain things very well to really like know what different things were being used for. For example, like, well, blood transfusion has nothing to do with, with blood pressure. Typically as she, that's for anemia, a completely separate thing. So I can totally see how it felt confusing somewhere in between there, there was not some communication about what's going on. And I think that that problem is often amplified with people of color where they don't take time to explain things and sit down and sort of, you know, go through what, what the, what the options are, why things are being, why things are being done. Um, They just don't. So um, as far as the, the, the preeclampsia, it was actually a good thing that that was recognized early and at least tried to be treated. That's one of the things that actually has been a problem that we haven't treated, taken preeclampsia seriously. So if, if it, if I heard correctly, that was recognized pretty quickly, which is actually a good thing because it's a leading cause of mortality. So that, in that respect, that was good. And the magnesium um, through the IV was also appropriate because it helps reduce seizures and, you know, and with those blood pressure numbers being high, um, that what's called severe preeclampsia, it can, it can be sometimes be difficult to treat. And I, again, I can't, I don't know what the numbers were, but, um, you know, in general, if we get things under reasonable control with the blood pressure medication, uh, then we're able to continue and try with the four vaginal birth and all of those things. So you don't have to go to a C-section right away. So it's hard to know without kind of seeing how, how everything played out. And then as far as the epidural goes, uh, that unfortunately is one of the things that is often not recognize or realize that sometimes epidurals don't work. There is no guarantee. And, um, I'm just thinking a couple of weeks ago, we had someone who had, she had, had, I want to say four epidurals placed and none of them worked for her. Like it just, just didn't work. So it's a rare thing that, that happens that we don't always necessarily understand why it happens, but that is a possibility. Uh, some of it is dependent on the skill of the anesthesiologist, but some of it, we just, we just don't know. And literally this person, it, it's like a similar, she didn't have preeclampsia, but she ended up having a C-section because the epidural just didn't work. And, you know, it just happened and she happened to be, um, a white woman. But I do think again, that there's difficulties or there wasn't it, it clearly from what you're telling me there's, there was some disconnect where things, they just weren't explaining things and like being involved. And I think it's also a terrible thing that we do. Like the whole throwing a piece of paper in front of somebody who's in pain is and obviously can't understand. Sadly, we do that all the time. Like that is not unusual that that happens, that there needs to be a realization that that's not the right, like 
this is like, stop it. <laughs> so this doesn't make any sense to do those kinds of things. We've gotten so in our system in many places, just fixated on, well, we have to check this box right now that the consent form is supposed to be signed without looking at the bigger picture of what really needs to be done and starting from, okay, I have this person in front of me who's in pain, who's in labor, like signing this piece of paper should be like the last thing on the list. And for, you know, sadly, sometimes it'll be like the nurses will get yelled at, or you didn't get the consent form signed. And um, sometimes they're just trying to do their job uh, and not understand that there's more to it than that. We get so caught up in the, you know, the things and not focus enough on that woman that's in front of us. And um, again, I think it's very, it can also be very difficult as a black man in particular, even though you're advocating for your wife, that you have a higher chance of being perceived as threatening or, you know, combative um, uh, when in actuality, you're just advocating <laughs> for this, you know, your, your wife. And that um, in a way is scary. Like, you know, I was sitting here, I was worried that you were going to throw in the police were called I'm sitting and, and, and I'm not trying you know it's funny but it's not funny because that's what they do to us I mean they will call yeah. in a hot minute security will get called and it's like yo we need to like chill like he's just advocating for his wife like everybody needs to back down a little bit and things can escalate so I'm glad that it didn't get to that sort of that sort of um level so I would say that there's some things about your story that um for sure are, can happen to, to anybody in our system because our system is not great always at supporting people. It really depends on the hospital. It really depends, like you said, on whether you get the right doctor who comes in and like, this is what we need to do to get things going. Um, and then I know without a question that some elements of your story are related to the fact that you're a Black couple and people make assumptions and things about education level and, you know, economic status and all of those things. And it can be really hard to untangle what is what, but we, I mean, we know, we, we know, you know, I mean, we, we know how it happens. We know how it happens. So, um, and, and I'm glad that, you know, thank God that there were people along the way who kind of stepped in and, you know, the, the nurse who said, Hey, this is not right. You know, we need to do some of the things to, to get things under better control. And you're here because it could have turned out completely different. It really could have turned out, um, completely, completely different. And I think in terms of how to, you know, is there anything that you could have done differently? This, that's always the hard part to say, because I don't, I don't think that there's anything, I mean, you educated yourself as best you could, you had someone there who could advocate for you on your behalf and speak up when need be. I, I genuinely feel like there, there's some things that I know that are issues. And that's what I work on is helping to educate people and provide them with the information so that they're empowered and they can ask the right questions. But the frustrating part for me is that I can't be with every single person when they give birth. You know, I would love to be able to, you know, hand pick all the doc, good doctors I know, because there are lots of good doctors out there so that they can be there. This was like a systems issue and failure about the way that we practice that. It sounds like, you know, um, from, from what I hear. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, well, before I ask the question, just want to reiterate because I know you mentioned is there anything we could have did different? And 
because I know this podcast will be viewed by others and from a husband's standpoint, what I could have did different was so sometimes step in and even because uh, my wife, she, she's a very educated Howard graduate twice, um, yeah, DPT. And Shout out to HBCUs. I'm a Stalmer <laughs> graduate. Absolutely. And I'm a Morehouse grad. And, uh, uh, okay. What's up? All right. <laughs> <laughs> and so the night before, um, she woke me up, I think, at four in the morning, four or five in the morning. And she was like, babe, um, what was it? my mucus plug broke or something. And so sometimes we get into our own intelligence and use WebMD a lot. (laughs) (laughs) And so she was like, well, I've been researching on WebMD in different places. They said it's normal, but then, so I'll just go to work, but when she said that, I'm like, okay, we need to go to the hospital. Do you want to go? Let's go. So, so at that point, I'm in a position of I want to respect her views and give her a chance. But this experience has made me realize that next time is no should we is you need to grab this bag or I'm grabbing this bag and we well I would say she was actually right like we would have said you don't need to come in just for your this plug so she was right (laughs) (laughs) we would have been sent back home yes you would have okay so so now for viewers how can um, I mean I guess is is there not a proper way of how should or how can the medical probably um, feel maybe put her in a, in some situation like that, maybe even put her in some type of um, like monitoring at a hospital instead of sending her back home. Because from four in the morning to 10 in the morning, it's six hours different that blood pressure started elevating to being a preeclampsia patient. Yeah, those so, are, yeah, you can, it's hard because we can always like look back and see or look back and say, oh, you know, well, if we were looking at the blood pressures earlier, maybe we would have seen something differently. It's always hard when you look back um, and you think about what could have been done. But honestly, like losing your mucus plug, if you would have called, we would have totally been like, that is not anything that you need to come to the hospital for. Just keep an eye on things, any fluid leaking, bleeding, contractions. Those are things that you would need to come in for. Cause that can happen days to weeks before, um, baby is born. So I think part of it is just like, honestly, I think, I don't know if you participated in any of the birth, you know, in any classes or anything, but I recommend like for my online childbirth class that people go through it with their partner so that they can talk through things and then have an idea. I even have a a segment where folks go through their ideal birth experience and they talk together about like, what do you want? Like, what do you think? And it just helps to bring up conversation so you can know about some of these things. Um, So that's what I would say about that. That's that's interesting. So with the birth plan then, so it's clear, clearly it's very essential that the mom and the dad are in this class. <laughs> They're not just the 
<laughs> or at least a- have some conversations about things about like what she's thinking and what she mm-hmm. and I should say I say birth plan because that's what's commonly used but one of the first things I teach is that we cannot plan birth doctors mm-hmm. can't plan birth um moms can't plan birth babies ha- plan how they can, they're going to come into the world and they don't tell us their plans so <laughs> it's really like wishes um how we think we would like things to go um, mm-hmm. our desires, but really it, it's being flexible and understanding the possible things. Cause birth is a, as you have now known, birth is very unpredictable and we cannot predict in any doctor who says they can tell you when somebody will go into labor or how labor will progress is a liar because they can't birth is unpredictable. It's going to go how it goes. And part of education is being able to ride the flows of that unpredictability and know that, okay, for this moment, it's going to be this. And another moment, it's going to be this. And that's part of what we have to do in order to, um, as a system to help people manage that and understand that, that we cannot, I can't always tell you what's going to happen six hours from now. Like that's just not how birth works and being confident in my abilities and knowing that I can say, I don't know, (laughs) but I am watching these things. Here's the things I'm looking out for. Here's what we need to do next. Here's the next step and the next step and the next step. So. And that gives you, that gives patient peace, right? Mm -hmm. That's, that's, Part of that culturally, when we say culturally competent, right, that allows the patient to have that dialogue. Yeah, I mean, and I think in general, like, I, I, I mean, white people don't realize the way that they stereotype people. I mean, and they think that you can't have those nuanced and intelligent conversations. And you like, no, you can sit down and you, you need to talk to me. Like I'm not an idiot. I'm a person and, um, you need to have a conversation with me. And I, and I don't think it's necessarily, well, for some folks it's intentional because it's racist people out here. Let's just go ahead and keep it real. But, um, I think for most, most, they just don't, realize that um they're doing it and again that's not something it's that's what always like tugs at my heart because that's not something that patients can fix or should have to fix that is something that we have to work on so but i do think education and informing yourself as much as possible helps with that and one question with the consent form is it that's the that's the form just to make sure that the hospital is um guarded safely right in terms of oh, say something goes goes along we can't yeah. sue us right yeah so that's literally <laughs> i mean yeah. they try to frame it like well you have to sign a consent form and i keep i will say like consent is not a form it really is a discussion about what's happening here the risk here the benefits that you know like this piece of paper is just a piece of paper. So stop like being so focused on that. But yeah, it really is a liability issue. That's that's the main thing. Question, sorry. Um, no. Yeah, go get the baby. But um, so during my, like my visits to my doctor or my OBGYN, I had swelling, of course. And I was like, well, is it a sign of preeclampsia? But they would always say no, because of my blood pressure was fine during mm-hmm. the regular visits. So is that normal for like, the day of birth for your blood pressure just shoot up because of pain or who no, I mean you probably you had preeclampsia I can say that without without question here's the thing about preeclampsia whoever figures out what starts preeclampsia is going to win like a Nobel prize in medicine because we don't know and your blood pressure can be totally normal 
in the morning and then it can be elevated in the evening. So really the whole point of prenatal care was actually to, in having frequent visits was, it was designed actually to detect preeclampsia. Like that's why, because it can happen um, at, at any time. So that's totally normal. Okay, because I was like, oh, I'm upset with the OB because I asked a million questions and they were right. like, oh, you're fine. Yeah, if the blood pressure is fine, I wouldn't, I wouldn't um, look for preeclampsia either. Well, I, I, I want to be, I know, I know uh, we've taken both of you guys is 30 minutes where I want to be mindful when the baby clearly is, is giving us a warning. Yeah, well, <laughs> you got to hold the baby up a little bit. Let me see that look. Oh my God. Look at that sweetie pie. Oh, look at those cheeks. Look, look at the onesie. Okay? This is what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, you gotta have the future house. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. This has been a delightful discussion. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, Thank I you wish both you. for being yeah. on here. Really appreciate this and yeah. for being able to share your, your, your story and Dr. Nicole for chiming in on their experience. It helps validate that what sure, we're thinking. Absolutely. It absolutely. truly is that. And being amongst Morehouse um, graduates, <laughs> I wish I was. I feel I feel left out here. I'm a walker. <laughs> more house more power to you all so thank you all for being on, on the call today yeah well um i wish you all the best you all are a beautiful family thank, thank you. you and thank i you. will say really quick if anybody who's listening wants to find out more information about me i'm at dr nicole rankins um everywhere so on instagram my website is dr nicole rankins.com as well and as well she has an amazing podcast she um she um she, oh thank she's you live and it's called I, all about pregnancy and birth Yes, it's yeah. an amazing podcast. I get a chance to, to slip in there and um, check out a few of our episodes, which are educational for me. Um, I don't have a child yet of my own, but um, I, I'm definitely, when I, once I'm ready for my child, I'm going to sign up for a birth plan. Um, <laughs> I need that. I need it. Because uh, clearly, Mitchell did a much more incredible job. I don't know if I was, if I would have had that much composure. So I need a birth plan. <laughs> Over the years, humanity has been able to transform almost everything into modern day technology. Despite the technological advancements of digital solutions everywhere, the healthcare industry has a lot of catching up to do. Innov Cares has a mission to bridge the gap between humanity and quality healthcare access through telemedicine. Imagine a world where you do not need to leave your home to be connected to a doctor, nurse practitioner, nurse, pharmacist, physiotherapist and every other person on the healthcare team. Everything is done right from the convenience of your home. InnovCares is a telehealth and wellness platform that brings affordable healthcare services to people wherever they are. All you need to stay connected is an internet connection on your phone. The platform ensures access to quality, all-round health solutions, such as health and disease specialists, lifestyle and wellness features, and lifestyle and wellness tips to prevent chronic diseases. InnovCares also offers services for sports coaches or team owners who would like to sign up their athletes for quick and quality health services. 
Besides getting the best health and lifestyle tips, athletes can get connected almost immediately to the right healthcare provider in the case of an emergency such as a sustained injury. Furthermore, the providers at Innov Cares make it a point to ensure that the recovery process is being followed up. Get rewards, join the health tribe, connect health devices, tick your action list and spend more time with your healthcare team at Innov Cares. Download your Innov Cares app on Google Play Store or Apple Store now.